You're listening to the podcast from King's Cross Church in Charleston, South Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about us, visit kingscross.org. So, as I said earlier, my name's Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. It's good to be with you. And, uh, Annie, not only did I want to make a comment about Lifeline, but also a comment about you being a Gamecock. So I um, uh, made my way for the first time to uh, Williams-Brice Stadium yesterday, and uh, that was a, um, a good time for me uh, as I'm a Georgia fan. So anyway, glad to, glad to celebrate with my Bulldogs up there uh, for a big win. And now that I've alienated probably one-third of the audience, we will dive in. So y'all please pray for me. Um, we are in week two of a new series, Walking Through the Book of Nehemiah, and the na- name of the series is Restored. And it's going to be 11 weeks. We're going to take it uh, into November. Chip did a great job getting us started last week, and uh, I get the privilege of looking at chapter 2. So the Bible, and this is really interesting, something I just learned recently. I knew this part, that the Bible is split into two different sections. Probably most of you all know that. There's an Old Testament section, and there's a New Testament section. Old Testament talks about the times before Christ, but each one of those 39 books looks to Jesus coming. And then the New Testament talks about Jesus' life on this earth and the beginning of the church, and there's letters to talk about how to grow in our relationship with Christ. If you take the Old Testament and you open it up, so from Genesis to Malachi, and you open it up and you split it down the middle, you're probably going to find Nehemiah. I actually got a calculator out. I did the math, and sure enough... Nehemiah is dead center in the Old Testament. So you say, oh, okay. Well, maybe that means that Nehemiah, as it finds its place in history, is kind of in the middle of the Old Testament. That's not true. The story of Nehemiah is actually the last story in the Old Testament. I don't know about you, but I was like, wow, never thought about it, never knew that before. Now, the last book in the Old Testament is Malachi. So Malachi was a prophet. And he was a contemporary of Nehemiah. So he was a prophet prophesying during the time of Nehemiah where we're looking at rebuilding the wall. And so as we look at the Old Testament, and I know you've got a couple of books, like you've got, um, uh, which books are after Nehemiah? So you've got Esther and Job follow, but just for you know, clarity's sake, their stories actually happen before the book of Nehemiah. So Nehemiah closes out this historical backdrop of the Old, backdrop of the Old Testament around 400 B.C., so 400 years before Christ. And then there is actually 400 years of silence to where God's working and God's moving, but God's not officially speaking to his people to where we would have it in written form, not through the prophets. So Nehemiah ends, and then the next scene leads into the first Christmas. You got angels singing glory to God in the highest. So I think it's pretty cool, and I don't know if Chip planned this or not, but God did. The fact that we're going to work through the series of Nehemiah, we're going to head right to the end of November, then we're going to have one standalone sermon, and then we're going to launch into our Christmas series. Now, I happen to be doing that standalone sermon. It's probably going to be 40 minutes, so I don't know an honor. Uh, if I don't come up with anything, maybe instead of having 400 years of silence, I might have 40 minutes of silence. Uh, but that's going to be the bridge between the book of Nehemiah and our Christmas series. So that's how it's laid out 
in the Old Testament leading into the New Testament as well. So a little bit of history, a little bit of what we talked about last week. Jerusalem had been captured by the Babylonians, who were later overthrown by Persia. And in the book of Ezra, the king of Persia allows the Jews to return and rebuild the temple. And in the book of Nehemiah, the king allows them, where we're at now, to rebuild the wall. But Ezra and Nehemiah are not just about a homecoming to where the king is allowing the people to come home. It's not just about a rebuild and rehab projects. It's about preserving a nation from which the Messiah would come. Because if the Jewish nation disappears, then no Messiah will come. Because there's prophecy after prophecy after prophecy to where Jesus is the fulfillment of Israel. What Israel couldn't do to save the world, Jesus would do. In John 15, I was just looking at that earlier this week is that Jesus says, I am the true vine. So he is the fulfillment of all the prophecies that were given to Israel. He's it. And so it's very important that we preserve the nation of Israel. And so that's what Ezra and that's what Nehemiah is doing. So as author and speaker Kathy Keller, many of you probably know her husband, Tim, uh, Kathy says this, Nehemiah's whole work was to prepare the way for Jesus, to have a rebuilt nation, a city, a temple, a priesthood, and sacrifices a place where Jesus would grow up Jewish and be the true Israel, the final temple, the high priest, and the ultimate sacrifice. So in a very real sense, Nehemiah was preparing the way for the Messiah. All right, chapter 2, let's dive in. Now you may have heard, uh, if you see the title at the top of this page, you may have heard leadership sermons out of the book of Nehemiah, such as How to Cast Vision, or recruit laborers, or how to restore a city. And Chip has told me on multiple occasions that he does not want this series to be 11 sermons on how to be a better leader. So like a faithful and loyal associate pastor, I've titled this Leadership 101. Uh, But to be clear, today's message is not about practical steps to improve your leadership capacity. Instead, it is what we're going to be talking about this morning is one thing that Nehemiah did that had he not done, a book of the Bible would not have been named after him. We're going to talk about one thing that is the foundation of all successful leadership. Now, you can be a leader, meaning you can lead people without doing this, but you won't be a successful leader as God defines success. So our biblical truth, I think it's in the bulletin for today, is successful leadership begins with prayer. Successful leadership begins with prayer. So Nehemiah had a burden to go to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall to protect the city, but he was employed by the king. He didn't have permission to go, and it was a dangerous route, and he lacked the resources to get it done. So in chapter 1, he prayed for success before the king. Chip analyzed that prayer last week. And now in chapter 2, he is before the king. So it's game time. Nehemiah was a great leader, but his leadership was rooted in a relationship with God that challenges us to do three things. And so every once in a while, I like to do this. If you like to take notes, but you want to get it done quick, here it is. So I'll tell you everything that goes in the blanks in your bulletin. Uh, Number one, uh, to ask God for the specific. His story, his example, encourages me to ask God for the specific. 
Number two, to give God the credit. We're going to see this in verses 8 and 18. And number three, to trust God for more. Ask God for the specific, give God the credit, and trust God for more. So open your Bibles to Nehemiah 2, and we're going to read all 20 verses. If you don't have your Bibles, I think we're going to have it on the screen, but if you do, it'd be good to open it up, have it in front of you. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of Kings Artaxers, uh, I know I just totally screwed that name up. I was going to look online to see how to pronounce it, but uh, when wine was before him, so Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king. He's the guy that tasted the drink before the king did, so just in case there was some poison in it, it would kill him and not the king. So a glorious job. I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. And then I was very much afraid. And I'll just pause here and say, um, I think the reason that he might have been afraid was because the king was not paying him to express his emotions. The king didn't need that kind of drama. Uh, there's a possibility he could lose his job. Maybe there was a possibility he could be cast into prison. Maybe a possibility he could lose his life. So he's afraid. Uh, he had prayed up, but he was nervous. I said to the king, let the king forever, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins? And its gates have been destroyed by fire. And then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, with the queen sitting behind, beside him, and I'm not quite sure why he mentions the queen sitting there, but it could be. Uh, maybe this is mentioned because he was banking on the fact that since the queen was sitting there, maybe there wasn't going to be any bloodshed in the living room today. So maybe he was kind of hoping that, and he was just kind of excited she was sitting there. Uh, how long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I'd given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through and I come, till I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the, of the fortress of the temple, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Then I came to the governors of the, providence, of the province beyond the river, and I gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent me officers of the army and horsemen, but when uh, Sam Ballot the Hornet, um, I like to refer to him as Sandy the Hornet, and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I went to Jerusalem and there was there three days. Then I rose in the night and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. And then I went in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, and the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. 
Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? And then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. So we're not going to cover the whole text in the sermon, but we're going to hit bits and pieces, but I felt like it's good just to give us context, just so we know the context of what God is telling us this morning. So again, the biblical truth is successful leadership begins with prayer. So here we go. The first point, I've got three. The first one's longer, so don't get nervous. The first two are really quick, so just hang with me through the first one. The first one is ask God for the specific. Nehemiah specifically prayed for this exact moment in chapter 1. And here it is. Nehemiah 2.4 is a game time moment. And at that moment, he prays again. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. The king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. So I want to note a few things. First, Nehemiah had already talked with God. We've already established that. We talked about that last week. Just want to mention it again. He had already talked with God. So in this moment, chapter 2, Nehemiah did not start off with asking the king for anything. Instead, if you'll notice in verse 4, the king asked Nehemiah, what would you like me to do? Nehemiah just shows up. He doesn't even ask for anything. The king asked him. And so this is God hearing. This is an example of God hearing Nehemiah's specific prayer that he prayed in chapter 1 to grant me success before the king and then making it happen in chapter 2. When Nehemiah had originally heard the news from his brother that the wall was broken down, he prayed from the month of Chislev to the month of Nisan. That's four months on the Jewish calendar. So he prayed. For, I know we just get one prayer, and really what most scholars say is that that one prayer is a summary of the prayer that he prayed over and over and over for those four months. And then he ends in verse 11, O Lord, give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. So my question for me and my question for you is, what about you? When you have a project that you need to get done, and this is a really big deal to Nehemiah. I mean, he was really upset that the walls were broken down because this meant that the, that the nation of Israel was compromised, that it could be uh, attacked against the enemy, and possibly eventually the nation of Israel could just disappear. So this is a really big deal. This is a really big burden on his heart. And so he felt like this is a project that he has to get done. So we all have projects. So what do we do when, like when you have a huge report to prepare at work that will take hours or even days to do, what do you do? Do you immediately get on it and start to work, or do you take time to pray? Or like when you have 50 cold calls, let's say you're a salesman and you have 50 cold calls to make in one day to meet your sales goals, what do you do? Do you immediately get to work, or do you stop to pray? Or like when you have two assignments, students, and you got a test to study for that are all due tomorrow. 
So speaking of students, when you think about your schoolwork, you think about the pressure that your teachers are giving you, and you got to show up with knowledge in your brain and sheets of paper with stuff written on it, what's the first thing you do? Do you get to work or do you stop to pray? Or when you have bills to pay and you have no choice but to work harder and more hours, what do you do? Do you get to work or do you stop to pray? So Martin Luther, uh, I mean, not single-handedly, but he was a large part of the Reformation in the 1500s uh, to bring us back to the gospel. He once was quoted as saying, I have so much to do, I have so much to do today that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. I mean, you could, could you imagine, I mean, making that kind of statement? I mean, have you ever made a statement like that? I think it's glorious if you have. But say, I've only got like eight work hours during the day. I've got so much to do. I've got like eight hours of work that I can only cram in eight hours. So the first thing I'm going to do is spend the first three hours in prayer. And I'm just going to trust that God's going to get it done. So that's what he said. So Nehemiah said, I have so much to do that I will spend not just the first three months in prayer. I mean, first three hours, I'm going to spend the first four months in prayer. Nehemiah trusted God. He depended on him to move. And so by the time we get to chapter 2, God was already there working even before Nehemiah opened his mouth. So I believe ultimately the biggest problem with my prayers not being answered and probably with your prayers not being answered is that the prayers just aren't being prayed. And so you say, well, God's not doing in my life what I need him to do and I'm trusting him. Well, are you praying and are you spending considerable amount of time in prayer wrestling with the Lord and asking him for success. Nehemiah continued. This is the other thing. So the first one was, that I want to make note, was Nehemiah had already talked to God. The second thing is that Nehemiah continued to talk with God. I don't know about you, but like if you spend a lot of time in prayer, whether it's, you know, for 30 minutes or an hour in the morning or three hours or four months, I encourage you to do that because what I believe is going to happen is the more time you spend in prayer, the more time you're going to continue praying to God. It's just going to become what you do. You're going to build this relationship with him, and the more you build an intense, a deep relationship with him, the more you're going to recognize that he's with you and that he goes wherever you go. And so, Nehemiah continued to talk with God. Nehemiah did not... Uh, see this chapter 2 conversation between him and the king, as scary as it was, as just between him and the king. He didn't just blurt out the request, and he had some requests. I mean, you can see when it comes, I mean, he's clearly given some requests that apparently he'd already had planned out. But Nehemiah knew God was there, and his first request was not to the king, but it was to the king of kings. So in the moment, what about you? How often do you pray before you speak? 100% of the time or 50% of the time or 0% of the time? Like in conversations at work or with your friends or with your spouse or with your kids? Do you have this kind of mindset that Nehemiah had to where he realized it wasn't just him and the king in the room, that God was there as well? Or I would say that probably a lot of us do pray during these conversations that we have at work with friends, with spouse, or kids, uh, but oftentimes I end up praying after the fact just for damage control. And so I've, I've done both ways, you know, and I will say that praying before the conversation and even during the conversation 
is a whole lot better than having to pray after the conversation. How much better would it be, would your conversations go, how much more confident would you feel if you just simply recognized that God was present, like in the room and available, like really accessible, and you turned to him first? So, uh, Nehemiah had already talked with God, and Nehemiah continued to talk with God, and we're still on point number one uh, as we make some observations. Nehemiah had prayed for this specific moment in verse 11 of chapter 1, and now he is praying in the specific moment. And so it's real specific what Nehemiah is doing, and that's why I said that uh, you need to ask God for, for the specific because that's what he did. He was praying for this specific moment in chapter 1, and then he gets in it, and he continues to pray even inside of it. And he was trusting God specifically, and so we see this because this is a request that came out. He was trusting God for permission to go to Judah, ability to pass through safely to Judah, and then timber to use to start rebuilding, rebuilding the wall. And so these are the requests that came, and I can only imagine specifically that's what he was praying for. So my question to you and my question to me is, what about us? How do you pray? I believe you can probably put prayer in two different categories. I think you have uh, general prayers and you have specific prayers. And neither one of them are really bad. God just wants us praying. But if we want to be successful in our prayers, and ultimately as we talk about Nehemiah being a leader, successful in our leadership, it's just successful in our relationships, successful in our job, successful in our friendships, in our marriage, and with our kids. Here's the general. So here's some general prayers that we generally pray. Like, Lord, bless me, my family, and my friends. Lord, keep me, my family, and my friends healthy. Lord, help my city or my country or the world. There's nothing wrong with those prayers. Those are easy prayers to pray. Uh, But I think God is asking us for a little more. God has made uh, or has given us the privilege to be ministers of reconciliation, as 2 Corinthians 5 says, and he's given us a message of reconciliation, something he could easily do by himself. But for some reason, he's chosen to use us and the words we speak and the lives that we live to be able to communicate the gospel to others. And I think as great as it is to talk to men and women about God, it's so much more important to talk to God about men and women. And I believe that the work of the ministry, we see this in Ephesians, we see this in the New Testament, is prayer. And so if God is asking us to give specific words to people and do specific things to serve people, I believe he's calling us to be involved in his work by praying specifically, just as Nehemiah did, because he wants us to use, he wants to use us to do specific things and he wants to wow us when we see him doing it. So for instance, I think these are some specific prayers that probably all of you guys pray at different times, especially when you're really passionate about something. Takes a little more work, but here's some examples. Lord, please grant me success for this moment and in this moment, like whatever you have before you, to actually think through what is a way in which we can act and speak and what goals are that will accomplish God's will according to his word. He wants you wrestling in his word, and he wants you to be transformed by his word, as Romans 12 talks about. And he wants you to have the mind of Christ. And when you are in his word, and that's why Jesus says in John 15, and we'll get there in just a second, where he says, that if, my, if you are in me and my words are in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. Because he wants you to know specifically how to pray. So here's another one. 
Lord, please go before me in this situation today. You can fill in the blank and work this out to where I meet this goal. Or, Lord, please provide these finances to meet these needs by this time. Or, Lord, please save Clark and John and Hannah and Anthony and Alex. Like praying specifically for people. You know, uh, Annie's uh, talking about Lifeline today and orphanages, and it reminds me of George Mueller. So he was a guy that lived in the 1800s, uh, when he's specifically not talking about orphanages, he's talking about bringing it in the homes, but he was in a dire situation in England and, uh, and ended up being, I think, Germany as well, to where they were trying to uh, take care of those without parents. And so they started building orphanages and orphanages and he recorded, as he just started trusting God to move, and he wrote a book where he recorded 50,000 specific prayers that he prayed, and he saw all of them answered. And he would just pray them, and he'd write them down, and he would see them answered. And one of the things that he was praying for was people's salvation. And here's one of his testimonies. He says, in November 1844, what's written about him, he's not saying this, He'll, he has a quote here in a minute, George Mueller started praying for five people's salvation. And then this is what he says. I prayed every day without a single intermission. Whether sick or in health, on the land or on the sea, and whatever the pressure of my engagements might be, that kind of rhymed, I didn't know that, uh, 18 months elapsed before the first of the five were converted. So he prayed for five people every single day, and after 18 months, one person came to Christ. I thanked God and prayed for the others. I guess he had a list, and he took that person and put it on his Thanksgiving list, and then he had four left. Five years later, another one. So five years and 18 months, now we got two. Six years passed, the third one was converted. I thanked God for the three and went on praying for the other two. And then as he was writing this, these two remain unconverted. Mueller had prayed for them 52 years every day. And then after his death, those last two came to Christ. So pray God, pray to God for the specific. And then, or this one here, Lord, please heal this person in this way. We have people in our church right now that are suffering with health issues. How do you pray for people that are suffering with health? I mean, I think it's great just to pray God heal them. And sometimes, like, that's all that we can do. That's all we know to do. But the joy of being able to wrestle with the Lord over someone praying specifically for them in specific ways, I think is just going to a whole nother level. So I have a friend who asked me to pray. He's doing radiation treatment. And say, if you'll pray that specifically the radiation treatment will attack the cells in this way to be able to shut it down and that the cancer won't be no more. So I'm actually praying that that radiation will work, not just for the healing. And then I have another friend who asked me to pray seven specific things for his baby with spina bifida. And the baby was just born, beautiful girl. And so I've been praying seven specific things for her because I want to have seven different ways in which to thank God. And so just encourage you to do the same. God does answer general prayers. But the truth is, how do you really know when a general prayer is answered? Let's go back to these general prayers I had earlier. Lord, bless me, my family, and my friends. Or Lord, keep me, my family, and my friends healthy. Or Lord, please help my city, my country, and the world. If I'm praying those prayers every day, let's just say today, um, yeah, my, my family and my friends uh, and I'm, I, I feel blessed. And um, right now my whole family is healthy and um, you know, the city, the country, the world is doing pretty good. I have no idea if that's a result of my prayers. 
But if I'm praying for specific things, for God to do the impossible in specific ways in each one of these categories, when that happens, then I got something to praise God about. And I got something that will strengthen my faith because I saw God work in specific ways. So um, with specific prayer, you do know. So prayer, uh, I wanted to mention this. There's different ways you can pray. George Mueller had like a prayer journal. Um, some like to write, write to write out their prayers through journaling, kind of like you're writing a letter to God. Uh, or maybe you'd rather type or maybe kind of pretend like you're emailing God. Um, or you can do like voice to text. I'm trying to think of all these different like innovative ways in which we can actually do a prayer journal if you don't like to write. Uh, that way you can look back and you can see how God answered. Because I'll just confess to you, lots of times I pray and I don't record when he answers. And so the longer I live, the more I look back. And I'm like, I know God answered in all these ways, but I can't just remember the specific ways. So I would encourage you to build up your faith by doing that. One thing I do prefer, and I really like this, is coming up with lists. And I, would just, I mentioned this maybe a long time before. But to have a list and have two different, or actually four different columns. In the first column, you'll have the date. And you'll put the date when your prayer requests start. The second column, put at the top Philippians 4.19, which says, My God will supply all your needs in Christ Jesus. And right there, list out all your needs. And then the third column, right at the top, Psalms 37.4, which says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Then write out your desires. Because God wants to give you not only what you need, but you want as well, as long as it's according to his word, as long as his word is in you. And then on the fourth column, let that be your praise column, your thanksgiving column. And so what you can do is you can pray on this particular date, pray for this need, pray for this desire, and then when God answers it, and however he's going to answer it, you'll check it off, and all of a sudden your prayer list becomes your praise list. And so I just think that would really be really encouraging, and that way when you're feeling a little doubtful or you're feeling a little discouraged, you can look back and you can see all the ways in which God answered your prayers. Another way is to use a list to knock on doors in your neighborhood or apartment complex. This seems a little unnerving. And places you frequent and ask for prayer requests. I did this once in the dorm, and it was awesome. I just went around and said, hey, you got any prayer requests? I'm forming this list, and I start praying for people. And then if you do that, you're able to go back to them and ask them how they're doing in these particular areas. And then when the answer comes, you're able to celebrate them as you invite them into God's work and what he can do in their lives. When you pray specifically, there's no mistake that when the answer comes and when it does, you're able to carry out our last two points. And here's the two quick points. Number two is that give God the credit. And we see Nehemiah do this in Nehemiah 2, particularly in verses 8 and 18. So in verse 8, And the king granted me what I'd asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. He got what he wanted or got what he prayed for and what he wanted because God's hand was on him. He gave him credit. And then later, he said it verbally to other people. And I told them of the hand of my God. This is in verse 18. That had been upon me for good. And also of the words that the king had spoken to me. I mentioned this earlier, but John 15, 7, 8. If you abide in me, Jesus says, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So you get in God's word, and you put God's word in you, and then you can ask whatever you want as your mind is being transformed to the word of God, and it's going to be done for you. It's like, man, that is incredible. Like, it's just a guaranteed 100%. Yeah, 
If you're in God's word and his word is in you and you're being transformed by his thinking and those are the kind of prayer requests you're praying, the purpose, though, is that God will be glorified, that you bear much fruit, that fruit is coming from your prayers and fruit is coming from your life. And you'll prove to be his disciples and you'll prove that God, who he is, is Lord of your life and he receives the glory. And so I believe that uh, there's two reasons why, multiple reasons, but I'll just mention two, why we should give God the credit. Number one, God's, God deserves it. It's just the way the universe should be operating. Giving God the credit is what we were made to do, is who he is. He deserves all the attention, all the credit, and you're like, that just seems a little weird because no person on earth should deserve all the credit or all the attention. You know, uh, that person we would deem as arrogant and just self-centered. Well, that's right if a person does it, but when God does it, it's exactly right because that's the way the world works because he actually does deserve all the credit. And the beautiful thing about it is when we're giving God the glory, that's when we're most satisfied. That's when we're most fulfilled. So it's good for us as well. When we're exalting him, we are experiencing life and joy, um, joy immensely more than when we are giving ourselves the credit and exalting ourselves. And you know that from experience. Even though in the moment we would think exalting me and lifting me up, that's going to make me feel better. But I know that every one of you know 100% of the time after the fact, you're like, I just don't feel as good as I was hoping to feel. But when we give God the credit, that's when joy is unleashed. And the number two is when God gets the glory, it's just a simple fact, more people look to God, which means more people start praying, which means God working even more. That's what Nehemiah was doing. It wasn't just about building the wall. He was spreading God's glory. And then other people you see at the end of the chapter says, okay, let's get with it. We can trust God too. So pray, and when God answers, however he answers, tell others so they will be encouraged to pray as well. And then number three, trust God for more. And we see uh, in verses 19 and 20 uh, when Sandy the Hornet and his guys jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you were doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper. And so Nehemiah not only gave credit to God, for what he had seen so far, but he trusted God would see it through. He trusted God for more. And that's what we should do is trust God for more. The more you see God answer, the more your faith builds, and the more you're able to trust him for more. So make no mistake, Hebrews 13, 8 is really clear. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God never changes. He is the one constant in the cosmos. If God did it before, he can do it again. He is always showing up in the same way over and over because he is faithful to himself and he's faithful to me and you. So God wants an ongoing, never-ending, exciting relationship with you so he never gets tired of showing up and answering prayers. So one reason God answers prayers is because he wants you to keep praying because he wants this ongoing relationship so there's actually two things that actually keeps me praying more, seeing God answers the prayers that I do pray and then seeing how things go wrong when I don't pray. So both sides of the coin encourages me to pray more because faith is a muscle. The more you work it, the stronger it gets. The more you trust God, the more you're able to trust him more. All right, just in conclusion, just a few closing thoughts. I want to say something to those who have trusted Christ as our Lord and Savior, those who followed Jesus. And um, I want to end with this question. 
a question that you may have been thinking for maybe the last 30 minutes is how can I know that my prayers will have the same kind of success that Nehemiah's prayers had? Because he was successful. He got a wall built. You know, he was able to do what Trump said he was going to be able to do because he was praying. And so John Piper once said, when you pray, nothing never happens. What I think he means by this is that prayer is always successful. It's always successful. And there's two categories of success. Number one, you get exactly what you're asking for. So one category of success, I'm successful if I get exactly what I'm asking for, just like Nehemiah did. John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and be done for you. And your degree of success, I believe, is connected to your time in God's word and your thinking God's thoughts. That's one way. When you pray, nothing never happens. The other way is you always get God. Even if you don't get the wall, even if that's not God's will, you always get God when you pray because you're interfacing with him, you're interacting with him, and he's doing a work in your life. The verse I mentioned earlier about the prayer list, Psalms 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. The desires of your heart are really not the things you're praying for when you're delighting yourself in the Lord. The desires of your heart are God himself. So it probably should say or could say, delight yourself in the Lord and you'll get him because that's what happens all the time when you pray. God wants a relationship with you, and whether you realize it or not, you desperately want a relationship with him. St. Augustine, guy that lived back in the 300s, says, You made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless when they rest in you. And then lastly, for those who have not trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior, we're so glad you're here. We're so encouraged that you came. And I just want to encourage you with this, and then we'll be done. Consider this about the story of Nehemiah, and I think this is so cool. Nehemiah left his secure place in the palace where he really had a good job. I know I was joking earlier, but it's a pretty good job. Uh, where he sat at the right hand of the king, he left that place where he sat at the right hand of the king to enter into a dangerous situation where he would be persecuted and possibly assassinated. Does this sound familiar? It should, because Jesus is the greater Nehemiah. The one who left the heavenly palace the right hand of the king, to come into this world, this sinful world. He joined the workforce, actually, as a builder for 30 years, uh, but ended up uh, walking into a certainty of persecution and ultimately death. Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah was written not just to pave the way for Jesus, but also to point you and me to Jesus when we look at his life, because Jesus is the greater Nehemiah. And so what I want all of us to remember and maybe even know for the first time is that we have sinned against God by going our own way. So Jesus came our way. He lived in our place. He died in our place. And then he rose from the dead to bring us to God. Praying to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior is the most important prayer that you will ever pray. And it always has a hundred percent guarantee of success. So let me pray. Father, thank you for your word and how clear it is and how we should uh, live in such a way as to experience joy and fulfillment and success in life as you would deem it. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to, um, 
to be people who recognize that our hearts are restless unless they find rest in you. And Lord, I pray that today and even for the remainder of this week that you would help us to be people of prayer, that pray for the specific, that give credit to you, and that we would see our faith grow more and more so that we continue to trust you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the King's Cross Church podcast. We hope that you were encouraged by the Word of God today. Take a moment to click the subscribe button on your screen, and you won't have to come searching for us next time. Until then, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.